Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are going to jump right into it today. Uh, today is uh, Thursday, November 29th. That's right. The right day, right? Yeah. Everything's sort of everything's sort of jumbled here. Um, but we had, obviously, some some really big news this morning when we, when we found out that Michael Cohen has pled to an additional crime, lying to Congress. And the key there is not so much that he uh, pled to this crime, but that he has uh, stipulated to a number of new facts, all of which basically come down to that there was a lot more to this uh, proposed, intended uh, building project in Moscow that he has heretofore admitted and that he was in close touch about it with uh, the now president and the now president's family. So we have that. We also have this evolving Roger Stone, Jerome Corsi thing, uh, which we don't know the full story yet, but clearly things are sort of uh, tightening around the both of them. Uh, Corsi's going all over the media, uh, making kind of contradictory comments. And, and the one thing, and this is one of the things I want to uh, talk about with our guests, who are two of, two of our uh, TPM staffers, um, is he did release this draft of what was supposed to be a plea agreement. And whatever he was trying to accomplish with that, what he did accomplish was basically reveal what the special counsel's office thinks it knows, which is for us reporters and people interested in this case is very valuable to know because they don't tell us. So we're going to talk today with uh, Josh Kovensky and uh, Tierney Sneed, who are kind of are our leads at the TPM investigations desk, which uh, uh, for now at the moment is 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 not quite all Russia all the time, but but fairly close. Um, before we do that, let's uh, briefly discuss that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. If you love cold brewed ice coffee, you know you have an expensive habit. Well, this is this is this is true. <laughs> We're talking four to five bucks a cup at the coffee shop, over a hundred dollars a month, and that's just the money. I appreciate that they're not, you know, they're talking about the human cost. Too. Right. There's an opportunity cost yeah, there, yeah. too. Now, add up all the time you spend waiting in lines in those coffee shops. It's not exactly convenient. Luckily, there's a better way. Order Grady's Cold Brew online and have it delivered straight to your home or office. You can pour a glass of Grady's famous cold brew straight from your fridge for less than a buck a cup, saving you over $1,000 a year. You could almost, like, go into business just drinking Grady's iced coffee. Uh, and shipping is always free. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. All right, Tierney, let's let's dive into this. What happened this morning? So what happened this morning is that Michael Cohen showed up to a courthouse in Manhattan uh, to submit this guilty plea. He pleaded guilty, as you mentioned, um, to lying to Congress. Uh, but what was really kind of groundbreaking here um, and was really monumental was that in these plea documents and what he said in the courtroom were these facts saying that, you know, not only did he lie to Congress, but he lied to Congress about facts that implicate the president in a, a pretty big way. Basically, that this Trump Tower deal um, in Moscow, which we knew he was working on, which we knew that he was working on, uh, you know, we kept getting new and new reports and details about what that work looked like and how long it was going and how it was going. It was happening a lot more into the, the presidential campaign than the campaign first wanted to admit. 
Um, but we now know that Trump was briefed on it, um, that Cohen was working on it with a few other individuals, um, at least through the summer of 2016, um, that there was talk of, you know, Trump going to Moscow after he became the GOP nominee for this business deal. Um, and, you know, one particularly uh, noteworthy line is that that Trump family members were also briefed on this. You know, I've been talking to former prosecutors who that line really stood out to them because you don't normally see that sort of detail. Um, there's other ways to sort of say those facts in less detailed ways. And I would imagine, am I, am I right, Tierney, that, that the prosecutors don't need to say that at all? Yeah, they, they, I mean, they, you could have seen they, a, a version of this this document. You know, all you have to basically say in, in an information, that's the term for this document, is you know, the bare bones of what the, what the crime is, um, it could have just been a paragraph and, you know, and even still could have been a paragraph, a couple paragraphs, but focusing on, you know, the work that Cohen did with, you know, that doesn't mention Trump or his family or the campaign, you know, it could have looked like a, they could have made it sound like a freelance gig that he right. was doing. But right. they, this document makes pretty clear that Trump was in the loop to some extent, that Trump family members were in the loop to some extent. Um, and that, you know, this was something that was being pretty seriously discussed. Yeah. I mean, the, what 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 jumped out to me there was sort of like we, we know as a f- for the essential elements of, if not the statutory crime, the larger set of facts that we're talking about for this whole investigation. It's highly relevant if he was talking to 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 Donald Trump, uh, if he was also talking to members of Trump's family, which presumably means his adult children. That's relevant, but that's that that struck me as something like there's other people on the line here. It's not just Michael Cohen. Yeah. It's not just Donald Trump. It's also your children. And to sort that that so that seemed to telegraph a lot to me. Let me ask you another question. One of the things that the information narrates is, you know, over the first half of twenty sixteen, they're kind of Cohen and Felix Sater talking about this, you know, this deal, putting together a trip. Uh, another thing we learned that Michael Cohen actually talked to someone in President Putin's sort of like press office, basically, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to kind of say what they wanted and stuff like this. Now, um, everything is sort of moving along. Everybody's, you know, excited. Uh, uh, Cohen is going to visit Moscow before the convention and at least. They thought uh, Trump was going to go afterwards, after the convention, which seems insane, but whatever. Um, and then sudden, and then on June fourteenth, uh, Michael Cohen runs into, meets with Felix Sater in the lobby of Trump Tower, and says, "I'm not going to Moscow." Now that date jumped out at me because that's five days after the Trump Tower meeting. And a bunch of other really kind of key stuff that's happening around that time. What what do we know? What are people speculating about how those dates might fit together in a timeline? So something that was brought up to me when I was talking to these um, former federal prosecutor types is that, you know, beyond just kind of exposing to the public some of these things that Mueller's turning up in his investigation. He's also using these these um, documents, these charging documents and information documents to send a message to other people who are participating in the investigation, who his team is talking to or is trying to talk to. And so you might see facts, events, decisions, timing, dates, 
that you know we might not know at this point the full the full meaning of but someone out there might see that and know what that means and it will think to themselves oh crap did i tell Mueller the truth about this because he's sending a message saying we know about this conversation we know about this decision we know about this this state if we're going to talk to you you better tell the truth because we're going to know if you're lying and as we saw earlier this week with Paul Manafort's plea deal um, imploding, there are very serious consequences if you lie to the special counsel. So no, no like immediate theories or kind of, you know, chatter among reporters about a specific connection that like, you know, this happens five days after because X. I guess it's they seem they're 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 pretty close in the timeline. But it, but for now, I guess we don't really have any yeah, grounded I mean, I idea think, of you know, how it we still have, it I, I think me and uh, Josh, the other Josh, are still doing a lot of work uh, going back through the timelining where this fits in, in what we already know. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, more stuff shakes out in the, in the hours and days to come, um, given this, this new information. I mean, one other major reveal that we had in this, and you mentioned it before, was that, you know, the Kremlin's uh, press office actually called back and <laughs> said, you know, we want to we want to talk about this this thing you emailed us. Um, and I think that will be a, a thing that people are going to be trying to report out and find out more about because that, you know, both the Kremlin's office and Cohen had denied that there was any response to that email that he sent, which at the time was sort of comical that he found this sort of public facing generic email account to a Kremlin spokesperson and and it worked. He got he got a call back. Right. Right. Well, uh, maybe if maybe if uh, the the right hand man or the, you know, or toe, I don't know, (laughs) Cohen's a little further down the the pecking order. But a guy working for the, the, you know, Republican nominee to be the next president, maybe it shouldn't surprise us that much that he gets his his email uh, responded to. So, Josh, we have this other thing coming into view with Roger Stone and Jerome Corsi. Uh, Clearly, the special counsel's office is sort of grinding their two narratives together, exposing the contradictions and and somewhat, you know, applying a lot of pressure to everyone. Jerome Corsi was on uh, Ari Melber's show on MSNBC last night, uh, admitted to working with Roger Stone to lie to Congress, to I, we lied. I, we did it. Uh, I later fessed up to the independent counsel's office. He has this sort of very improbable explanation of how he just intuited that uh, uh, John Podesta's emails were next, et cetera. Can we make any sense? What, what is going on with these two, with the, this this part of the story? Sure. I mean, I think with Corsi, it's important to start a few weeks ago when he, uh, on a live stream, went on and said that he expects to be indicted within the next two days. That, of course, did not happen. Um, after that, there, and also I should add that at, as it happened, he did tell people to, do, to donate to his uh, legal defense fund. And that's something that he's consistently done with every public statement. Uh, so it's keep in mind, too, that he's a grifter, uh, as far as we know. Um, so I think we can confirm that. Right, I think we, we can confirm treat that. that. As a yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, with, uh, a couple weeks later, there was reporting that came out that he was in plea negotiations with the Mueller team, and then almost immediately after that, he said that uh, he had broken off negotiations. He then started distributing copies of the plea agreement and the, the proposed plea agreement and the statement of offense to uh, different news outlets. Um, so in terms of what's going on here, or what they're doing, you know, a lot of people seem to think that he doesn't have any expectation. Uh, of anything else except a pardon, or at least he's really angling for one very strongly. Um, you know, we know that he entered into a joint defense agreement 
by his own admission with uh, Trump's legal team, uh, which we also know Paul Manafort did now. It's not clear how many other people involved in the investigation entered into these agreements. And uh, those are all, to me, pretty strong signs that he is angling for a pardon. But it is, I mean, it's a real circus. It's very theatrical the way he's going through all of this. And uh, I mean, at every statement, he's comparing the Mueller guys to the, you know, the Gestapo to the KGB. And again, he's also marketing a book right now, which is going to come out in March uh, oh, okay. ab- about his time <laughs> in, in the Mueller investigation. Right, right, right. Yeah. So with Corsi, uh, th- the fact that he released that draft, it's not a court document because it wasn't, you know, it was never submitted. But clearly we know that was something like that was what the special counsel's office was prepared to release. Do we know... Uh, I, I confess, maybe it's just that so many different things are happening right and left in these recent days. I didn't, when he first said, oh, I'm going to publish this proposed plea agreement, uh, I didn't quite put together immediately in my head, like, whoa, that's going to, you know, no matter what your argument is, we're going to learn a lot from that. And we have a whole bunch of reporting over the last few days has just been piecing together the facts that were alleged in that plea agreement that never happened. Do we know, do we have a sense of what he was trying to achieve by that? Because he hasn't embarrassed the special counsels. I'm sure he's pissed them off. They don't like to, you know, share facts they they don't want to share yet. It's occurred to me like maybe he's, he kind of stuck it to Roger Stone. Do we know what he was trying to do? By releasing that? Uh, I think that's something a lot of people are looking into at the moment, uh, for sure. It's a big question. He did stick it to Roger Stone. And on that point, I'd note that over the past few days, Roger Stone went from saying that uh, Jerome Corsi is being broken down by the special counsel's office, but that he's still you know, putting up a big fight to telling me the other day that Jerome Corsi is an alcoholic and that he's bullshitting and that it's all, you know, basically Stone went from trying to defend Corsi to uh, going against him and saying that, you know, he's completely collapsed and has betrayed right. him. Yeah, right, right. So now, um, all of these things, and I'm curious for just for both of you, Josh and Tierney, all of these things, this, the things that uh, uh, Jerome Corsi was talking about last night on MSNBC, these sort of, you know, kind of summer, fall uh, timeline in 2016, the things with uh, that Michael Cohen uh, stipulated to this morning. They only they only kind of a little overlap, maybe in the in the midsummer or so of um, of 2016. But these seem to all be part of one big thing. And we're kind of seeing more parts of it day by day. Do we have a sense that like, you know, there's rumors there's going to be more indictments tomorrow. Do we have a sense of is this picking up speed now? Is Do we know what's happening over the next you know, next 24 hours, the next week? What's, what's, what are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, looking back at the last, you know, really week, uh, week's events, two weeks, I guess, it's hard to know exactly which revelations were, you know, intentional and calculated by Mueller and which ones were, you know, things that are like the Corsi thing are just sort of spilling out into the open because Corsi wanted it to spill out into the, ocean, the open. Um, one thing that was raised to me with the speculation about the timing of the, the Cohen plea, I, I heard a couple different theories of why it's hap- happened this morning. Um, 
one of them pointed to the fact that President Trump, through his legal team, submitted his written answers um, last week to the questions that Mueller had sought answers to after failing to negotiate an in-person interview. So one theory is that, you know, he's now locked in on some answers to some of these key questions. And now we're going to maybe see some more about what Mueller himself has uncovered about the answers to these key questions, even if we don't know exactly what questions Trump answered yet. Another timing thing that was pointed out to me was, you know, with the implosion of Paul Manafort's deal, you know, we don't know exactly at what point it imploded. We do know that, you know, the, the status report that they reported that they revealed all these lies was supposed to be filed about two weeks ago. And they asked for a delay and got their delay and, and, and revealed it on Monday. And, and another theory that I heard uh, today was that the reason this Cohen plea was being revealed today is because there's something in this plea that may contradict something that Paul Manafort had told Mueller, and Mueller will then be able to turn to a court and tell uh, tell them that here, here's our proof that Paul Manafort lied to us. Um, we're not yanking your chain here when you when you uh, when we say we need to tear up this plea deal. Um, so there's there's definitely a lot of theories, and, and like I said, you just don't know exactly what are the strings that uh, Mueller is pulling with, you know, purposefully and what are the things that are sort of outside of his control that he's reacting to. Right. Josh. Yeah. I think on the timeline point, uh, there's one thing somebody pointed out to me on in which these two timelines basically converge, which is that in late July, 2016, uh, Felix Satter is on the record as saying that that's when these, uh, Trump tower Moscow negotiations ended. And the reason for that basically is because on July 26th, Trump tweets, um, I have no Russian deals, right? I have no deals in Russia, something along those lines. Um, and essentially, that occurs either the same day or the day after Jerome Corsi and Roger Stone um, see the DNC hack and try and get in touch with WikiLeaks. And that's when, according to the Corsi timeline that we have from the documents, that those efforts really, really start to accelerate. When did Sater say that? How do we know he said, bring me up to speed? So, yeah, Sater told BuzzFeed that uh, on the record a month or two ago. Okay, okay. And, uh, you know, I'll just I'll just lay over one other sort of string on this timeline, and that's the George Papadopoulos string, um, which was, you know, one of the first strings that we got to get a sense of. And something that I wrote about back when those that plea was revealed, you know, over a year ago, was that if you look at the timeline of communications that Mueller revealed when he was going through those plea documents, Papadopoulos' communications with all these, you know, mysterious Russian figures that are still sort of shrouded with mystery, what we know about those communications end right around the convention. You know, we know that there's all these meetings in the spring and in the early summer, and then right around the week, I think one of the last communications that were documented in these documents is, you know, check out Trump's convention speech tonight. And what happens around the same time is when the WikiLeaks, when these, uh, when these hacked emails are being put out into the public sphere. So that's another, another timeline here that's converging on all these other timelines in uh, July of 2016. Now, if I remember that piece, and tell me if I'm, I'm misremembering this, your theory was not necessarily that things stopped, but that the special counsel's office didn't want to get into what happened after that. Is that, am yeah, I remembering that I right? Yeah, I mean, you know, what, what I had asked people, you know, former prosecutors types, and what they told me is that, you know, Mueller has no obligation in these sort of, you know, plea documents to reveal everything that he knows. And there's a strategy, like I was discussing further, whether you're sending messages to the public or to other people participating, there's a strategy of what you do and don't reveal. 
And, you know, now we have Papadopoulos has been sentenced. He's currently serving in a in a in a prison camp in Wisconsin. So who knows if and when we'll ever find out whether those communications continued and what they what they curtail um, entailed. But it was really striking at the, when those documents came out a year ago that that's where the, the timeline that Mueller provided us stopped. It, it's funny. One thing about that, and this is just a hunch that I'm sure a lot of our listeners know that over the last couple months or so, Papadopoulos himself has been, you know, articulating these increasingly wild conspiracy theories about, you know, uh, intelligence agencies in the UK and Australia, these, these huge conspiracies against Donald Trump and against him and he was set up and all this wild, wild stuff. And, you know, he got sentenced to two weeks in prison. So, like, just take the hit and move on, man. Like, what, you know, <laughs> what are we talking about here? And it has occurred to me that's not just someone who's impressionable and listening to Hannity too much. Or that's not someone who is, there's something going on there that I don't think we've heard the, the entire story about what is up with him. Again, it, 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 it's sort of he's such a comical figure. It's sort of weird and amusing to see him spinning out these tales. But again, why? And I have not seen a good explanation of why. Yeah, and it was really striking, you know, being in the courtroom during that sentencing. He has really he had pretty competent lawyers who, you know, effectively lobbied for this 14 week sentence or 14 day sentence, which was about half the time the judge was, you know, initially planning to sentence him. And what they did is they they were the lawyer got up and said, you know, Trump, by all of his anti Mueller rhetoric, has been more obstructive of this investigation than these lies that Papadopoulos told when he was, you know, caught off guard and afraid and didn't know what was going on. And and it worked. And, And Papadopoulos himself got up and acted very contrite and that sentencing hearing. So it was interesting to see that his attorneys very much, and I think they said so in the, in the, the, the presser they did afterwards, d- did not feed into any of these conspiracy theories, had only respectful things to say about Mueller, and that, you know, as soon as that sentence came down, Papadopoulos just went completely rogue, eventually got a new set of attorneys, and has been kind of pushing these theories. I don't know if he's still, you know, seeking a pardon or was just that afraid of going to prison for two weeks, but uh, it was pretty bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I the idea of, of, of losing your freedom for even like a day is a, is a terrifying experience. So I never, you know, we talk about, oh, so-and-so got a pretty short sentence. He's only going to do a year in prison. Well, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, sorry for anybody who that offends, but I mean, a year, a year like sitting in a box where you don't control what you get to do, that's horrifying. Having said that, he's doing two weeks at a at a at a at a prison camp, um, you know, low security, whatever. It is it, it's just hard to figure what his angle is. Um, pardon doesn't seem likely. Certainly not to avoid the sentence, which is what a third over already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would just point out that his narrative is really kind of crisp and kind of clearly well put together in a way. Um, which I think does raise the question of, I mean, when did he come up with it? I mean, I don't, I don't want to just like affirmatively say that he's not telling the truth, but I think it's pretty clear that he's not. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think it raises this question of is he getting some kind of outside help on it? You know, who's helping him draft this idea that there's this global conspiracy involving the Eastern Mediterranean that uh, is really responsible for what happened? Right, right, right. Okay, well, we're going to go back to reporting this story because it's still emerging over the course of this day. Uh, Tierney, thank you. Josh, thank you, uh, as always. Uh, remember, uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is a sponsor of the Josh Marshall Podcast. Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code. TPM. That's promo code TPM. Thanks, and we will uh, talk to you next week.